You're listening to Top Lane Duopoly, a podcast by independent-minded voters for independent-minded voters, where we take a deep dive into the systemic problems that have left so many voters feeling disenchanted or disenfranchised completely in the U.S. political process. We also explore what the duopoly means and the impact it has on competition and accountability in elections. We further examine the nonpartisan solutions to foster elections that are fairer, more competitive, and more accountable to voters. Elections, after all, should serve voters, not parties. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Toppling the Duopoly. I'm your host, Sean Griffiths. And on this episode, we're going to explore a topic that we have discussed in a previous episode, which is ranked choice voting's use in New York City. In fact, the last time we discussed it was soon after New York City's first primary election using ranked choice voting. And joining me once again to talk about it is Deb Otis, who is a senior research analyst for FairVote. FairVote is a nonpartisan organization uh, seeking better elections for all. And it is that one of the nation's preeminent advocates for ranked choice voting, including spearheading and collaborating on ranked choice voting campaigns across the country. And Deb is one of the authors of a new research study on the impact ranked choice voting had on New York City. Deb, thank you for joining me. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me on today. So as I mentioned, you were on this podcast before to talk about uh, ranked choice voting's use in in New York City, uh, the largest uh, jurisdiction to date to adopt and use ranked choice voting. But you just came out with this new report that kind of that elaborates on some of the points that we already kind of knew from uh, the, from the, the the aftermath and and what happened in that election. But this kind of explores those themes, those topics, and more depth. Talk a little bit about the process to uh, writing and coming up with this research and what sort of things does does the, the research itself expound upon? Sure. Well, I had a, a really fun time digging into all of the data that came out of uh, these New York City elections uh, this past summer. And w- with a little bit more time and distance from these elections, you know, we're, we're more than six months past the elections now, it is becoming more and more clear that overwhelmingly positive outcomes came out of these races with ranked choice voting. Uh, we are seeing, you know, we saw um, the most diverse city council in history. Uh, we saw the highest turnout in decades. And we knew a lot of that right after the election, but some of that was clouded by the by the horse race and other narratives at the time. And as the dust has settled, it is just looking better and better. Uh, so one of the things this report does is dig into the ballot level data to try to answer questions like who was using multiple rankings, how many candidates were getting ranked. We already knew who won these elections, but looking at how did they get there? You know, was it taking multiple rounds? Were they consolidating support from different bases and things like that? And so that's what this report adds to the conversation uh, with this few few extra months of hindsight. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I would love to focus on specifically is the increased diversity that we saw as a, a, a as a result of ranked choice voting's use in New York City. Uh, the 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 report expounds upon the fact that uh, this is the first time in city history that there is a city council with that is that has majority women representation. And I think as we're looking 
ahead, especially now, I think it's an important topic uh, to discuss what representation means in our democratic process. Whether you're looking at the city level, the state level, the federal level, I think that is becoming a topic of more and more importance, particularly in the pro-voter, pro-democracy movements uh, that we're a part of. What can you say, what can you expound upon and elaborate on the exact impact that ranked choice voting had on creating a more diverse uh, city government in the nation's largest city? That's a great question. And I like that you're asking, you know, what, what does it mean to get better representation? And this often goes beyond any just any one metric. It's usually it's a multifaceted question. It's about ideological representation. It's about racial representation and gender representation. And it's about every voter feeling like their voice was heard and they participated in this process. And so we look back at these winners from the New York City primaries, and we know New York City uh, was largely uh, the, the winners of the Democratic Party, largely went on to win in the general election in, in most uh, districts and citywide. And so in a lot of cases, we're talking about diversity within the party as well. And I, I think it was really helpful to voters that ranked choice voting opened up these candidate fields to let more candidates throw their hat in the ring, try to connect with voters on the issue and make it a competitive race. And if we had not been using ranked choice voting, I imagine that a lot of these qualified candidates might've chosen not to run. They would say, oh, well, there's already some candidates uh, who might speak to a similar base. So if I run, I won't win and I might just hurt them. Ranked choice voting took that out of the picture. And so it gave voters at the ballot box a more diverse set of candidates to choose from. And so voters really got to connect with the candidates and have their voices be heard. And can you explain a little bit more to the audience about why this is that ranked choice voting is able to reduce more diversity within uh, within a government? Again, whether you're talking city, state or federal, why it opens those doors more than the traditional choose one method that most voters, even most voters listening to this podcast are used to. I think there are a couple of factors. One really big one is that ranked choice voting incentivizes more positive and issues-focused campaigning instead of some of this mudslinging and, and toxic polarization that, that a lot of us are used to. Uh, and, and so a, a more positive campaign environment where, where candidates really get a chance to speak with voters on the issues, that can be beneficial to newcomer candidates, uh, possibly folks who are outside of the traditional political establishment who might be running for the first time and just looking for their chance. And so ranked choice voting creates that environment to let candidates really shine. And so that's hugely beneficial to voters. Uh, the other important mechanism here is just the vote transfer. Voters know that if your first choice doesn't get enough support and can't win, then your ballot will go and count for your second choice. So you can help out your second choice instead of accidentally helping to elect your last choice. So it's just this simple change in ballot design here gives voters so much more power to say, well, these are the issues that matter to me. And so these are the candidates who are going to help me get there. Let me rank them in order. And what can you say about um, so one of the, one of the one of the biggest criticisms about ranked choice voting in terms of those who 
will come out in opposition to it, whether it passes in New York City, whether it passes in Maine, whether it passes Alaska, is that there are, there are opposing forces who will say that it's it's just too complicated for voters to understand. And what we've seen from elections is that oftentimes the, this argument doesn't hold water. What does this report on the ranked, on ranked choice voting's use in New York City say about how how easy it was for voters. So the I guess the the I guess what it says about the level of difficulty for comprehension and adaptation for uh, voters in New York City. Well, my research found exactly what you're suggesting, Sean. This argument that it's too complicated just doesn't hold water. We already knew from some exit polling results that voters said they liked ranked choice voting and they understood ranked choice voting. So it's Great to see that from a poll. And for this report, I got to dive into the actual ballot data. So not only did we know if they said they understood ranked choice, we got to look at how people used the ballot. And overwhelmingly, we are seeing people opt in to using ranked choice voting. In the mayor's race, for example, uh, nearly nine out of 10 voters chose to rank multiple candidates. So they understood what to do with their vote. Uh, and I also wanted to look at whether there were any demographic disparities about whether whether some voters were more likely to use rankings than others. And what we found in this report is that there were no disparities that held up across uh, the three different races that we looked at. We looked at the contests for the three citywide offices. So this is mayor, comptroller, and public advocate. And so we might see one group ranking more or less in one of the races, but then the opposite in one of the other races. And I think that this shows that voters understand how the system works. Voters were behaving smartly here. Uh, you know, one of the one of the things we did notice is that uh, in the mayoral race, uh, it looked like uh, black voters might have ranked fewer candidates. But when we looked at the other two races, it was the opposite, the exact opposite. And so this, to me, looks more like a function of Eric Adams coalition, because all of the pre-election polling suggested Eric Adams was a really strong candidate, almost certain to make that final round. So if you're an Eric Adams voter, you don't really need a backup choice, right? You might expect it's OK to rank just one. But then in the other races, these same voters were ranking two or three or all the way up to five candidates. So this, to me, looks like informed voter choices once you look at look at it holistically across all of the elections. So that was a great finding. Uh, and it, it really suggests that voters are not confused by ranked choice voting. Voters of all different backgrounds understand how to make their vote count and make and give themselves as voters more power at the ballot box. And you touched on this a little bit in that last response. And I'm curious, how would you what, what would you say to listeners who are concerned that just by like if they were to to vote in a ranked choice voting system and they really only want candidate and they really only want one candidate. And so they think that, you know, they're just going to rank one, but they're concerned that if they just rank one candidate, their ballot will be essentially thrown away or or cast aside. However, it would be, uh, you know, it, it won't. It, it won't, you know, it, it won't count towards the end result. To address that concern, what would you tell voters? Well, I would recommend that voters go ahead and keep ranking as long as they still have a preference between the remaining candidates. 
So if you really only want your vote to count for one candidate and under no circumstances, do you want your ballot to count for anyone else? Then that is a-okay. That's an informed decision. Go ahead and rank only that one. But then also ask yourself, if my first choice gets eliminated, if they cannot win, would I like to weigh in between the others? Maybe I don't like any of them, but is one of them okay and one is one is not my taste? Is it, Do I have any preference between those remaining candidates? If the answer is yes, I would say keep on ranking. Just remember, your second choice vote is never going to make your first choice lose. Your second choice only comes into play if your first choice is already knocked out. Mm-hmm. And the way that I've always seen ranked choice voting is, is it basically simulates how a how additional rounds of runoff elections would happen without the expense of additional elections. And for me, that's always been kind of a, a selling point for an alternative voting method like ranked choice voting. For you, what are some of the key, uh, the positives about ranked choice voting when you're going out and you want to sell it? If you're trying to, if you're collaborating with a campaign or you're helping spearhead a campaign for ranked choice voting, what are the key, uh, I guess, bullet points and the key arguments that you present to people in favor of ranked choice voting? Well, the biggest argument that I give for ranked choice voting is that it elects the candidates with the broadest support among the voters. So a campaign strategy is always going to be to try to appeal to the largest group of voters, not to just one niche base. And so this is going to help elect candidates who have that broad support. And I, I tout this as a benefit for voters because the a, a group of voters is, is more likely to elect the candidate that they want. And it's also a benefit for campaigns because this helps our candidates and campaigns reach out to the voters, uh, potentially across different coalitions in order to hear those voters and build support. And then when those people win, when they are elected with ranked choice voting, now they have a broader coalition of support behind them. They take office with a true mandate. Uh, they have the ear of various different coalitions and those coalitions have their ear. So now we have a model for good governance here because our elected officials are connecting with a broad group of voters. So this is a key benefit for voters and for campaigns. Mm -hmm. And so looking at this report, there's a lot of key things to highlight. We talked about uh, the increased diversity. We've talked about the, the increased turnout as compared to previous elections in New York City. What is what are some of the things that you hope that voters take away from the report, but also campaigns who are in 2022 and going forward going to be pushing for ranked choice voting in their own jurisdictions, whether you're talking about a local um, you know, jurisdiction or state or or anything or any campaign that would advocate for ranked choice voting's use, what do you hope that they take from this and how do you hope that they use it uh, for their benefit? Sure, uh, you asked, you know, what do we hope voters took away from this and what do we hope that campaigns took away from this? Uh, from the voter perspective, what I hope people take away is that this was fun to be able to rank our candidates and this gave us more power. We are used to doing this strategic math. You know, I, I only get to pick one, sometimes out of a field of 10 candidates. So how do I most make my vote impactful? And this can be a, a hard mental hoops to jump through. And so in this case, voters got to vote their honest preference. 
and they got to they got to express multiple preferences if they liked multiple candidates. So I hope voters took away that this voting method feels like they have more power. And it's true, they do. You also asked about campaigns. What do we hope campaigns will take away from this? And what do we hope to see in the future? I think a, a key message for campaigns is that it can be helpful to use ranked choice voting messaging. The voters liked this. I think it is here to stay. Uh, campaigns and candidates who embrace this, uh, using in their messaging, rank me number one instead of just vote for me. Those candidates are sending a signal to their voters to engage with this system. And they are giving their voters more power by, by continuing to support the use of ranked choice voting. So I would love to see more campaigns in 2022 and going forward talking about ranked choice voting. Uh, maybe not necessarily all you know candidates cross endorsing each other. That can happen, uh, but that, that's not always necessarily the best strategy for a campaign. But using some kind of ranked choice voting messaging is always a good move. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the pro-voter reform space, the pro-democracy reform space, there isn't a reform that has more momentum behind it than ranked choice voting, just the way that has expanded in use and in approval over the last year. In 2021 alone, it more than doubled its its use and its its visibility in the country. What can you tell listeners about what they can expect in 2022 in terms of campaigns? Where could they be looking at in terms of where this could be approved next or expand next? And what are some things that uh, Fair Vote, uh, your organization, is going to be working on this year during the midterms and going forward uh, as you seek to grow this movement more and more? Well, you're right. This is a the fastest growing election reform in the country right now. And it's the most bipartisan reform. We are seeing uh, members of both parties embrace this and we're seeing voters embrace this. And so as we look forward to the coming years, what kind of growth we can expect, I think we should look to growth at the local level, at the state level and at the federal level. Right now, there are a few dozen US cities that are holding elections this way. We think that could be a few hundred and so we're looking to see the growth of local implementations of RCV. That brings me to the state question. This might be the year of the local options legislation. Now this gets a little wonky talking about specific legislation, but a couple of states have passed local options ranked choice voting legislation last year. And this means the states are clearing the red tape to let cities and towns opt in to RCV if they choose to. And this has been a model that's been successful in uh, Utah, Colorado, uh, Virginia has legislation like this. And we're looking to see that expand to more states to help, help cities and towns opt in to ranked choice voting. And lastly, I mentioned some federal growth. Uh, this past year, two ranked choice voting provisions passed the US House. Uh, one of these was part of uh, the For the People Act. Uh, and so it's provisions that, uh, uh, one of the provisions uh, creates funding opportunities for cities that need to upgrade their voting machines in order to be RCV compatible. And so we are already getting federal support on ranked choice voting legislation. And one of the areas that Fair Vote is going to be focusing in the coming year is to increase our support at the federal level. A lot of this can be done from the grassroots level. A lot of it, it comes from the top. And we will be working, uh, we'll be working with federal and state legislators to try to make this happen and get more voters access to this voting method. 
I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the federal stuff, because actually in this podcast so far, I've been kind of mindful to say like local and state, but not really include federal because when it, it comes to the direct implementation of ranked choice voting, that's a, that's a local, that's a state thing um, because they decide how their elections are going to be held. But there are things at the federal level that can pass that can be done to make it easier to implement. And I'm glad that at least for listeners, that they have a better understanding of how that could look at the federal level. And if people want more information on uh, what's going on in the ranked choice voting movement or what fair vote is working on right now, where can they go? Our website is a great one-stop shop for info, uh, get connected to your local activities, find what federal legislation is advancing, uh, and just learn more about ranked choice voting. So you can find us at fairvote.org. And Deb, again, I thank you for joining me. This is uh, this is going to be a movement that listeners that everyone should be following because right now there's a lot of people who are concerned about the state of our democratic processes and the future of it. And there's a vast and growing movement uh, on a myriad of topics, but particularly how we elect our elected officials to shift the incentive to be more accountable, to be more representative. And alternative voting methods like ranked choice voting is one of those ways. Deb, Thank you again for joining me on Toppling the Duopoly.